again, good morning. Since we're preaching through Timothy, before I get into the message, I guess it's appropriate for me to address Timothy, our Timothy, who's Andrew. Uh, this emotional day for me, as most of you know, Andrew was here when I came. He's been more than a right arm to me. I could say about him what Paul said when he was sending Timothy to one of the churches. I it was awfully hard not to try to talk him out of this. He probably thought I was. But eventually I came to grips with it that if it's what the Lord wants, then I have to agree to it. Whether it pleases me or not. Next Sunday will be his Sunday. We'll be honoring him. He'll be preaching. We'll have a dinner, lunch, whatever you want to call that middle day meeting meal. You'll have an opportunity to give him something if you want to put a note in. There'll be a place for that. But I want you all to know I'm uh, selfish and heartbroken, but I pray more than anything, that God will use Andrew in the most powerful way in his life, the years ahead. I think he's developed into one of the best preachers delivering a message of any young person that I've ever worked with. There's been two in my 50 plus years of pastoring. It's really hard for me to discern against, and he knows one of the other one. Young man that died last fall, 50 years old. I'd have to classify them as 1A and B, and I don't know which would be A and which would be B. We're losing a great minister. But God will take care of it. I believe that. We'll march forward because it's not my church, and it's not your church, it's His church. And He promised us that He would put in the body everything that he needs for the church to accomplish what he's called it to do. I know that I've left churches over the years, and it's not easy for us, is it, Andrew? It's not an easy decision to make. But when we come to grips with that's what God wants, then there's nothing else we can do. And I want you all to know that I love him like a son, I want the best for him. And Andrew, I've told you personally, I tell you before them, son, I hope you're the greatest that's ever been. I love you. Father, you know I love him. And you know this is a bittersweet day. Next Sunday will be harder. But that's okay. You'll see us through it. You'll watch over us. And with interest of whatever life we have left, we'll watch to see how you use Andrew, how you anoint him, and what a messenger he'll be for you. Valley Creek has been blessed. Lord, let them accept that blessing. And Lord, I pray they'll treat him with the respect and the honor that he deserves as your servant. And that he will be such a powerhouse there that it will cause people just to want to come to be a part of the ministry. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon today is the church and its ministry. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll read all verses. I don't know whether we'll speak about all verses. But this is part of two chapters that work together, and that's chapter 5 and chapter 6. And if you remember in chapter 5, there were some things that we see here. We see instruction of how to treat each other, the elders, or the elders as well, and the women, each other. There's two or three verses that I want to go back there and, and, and look at that I think would be good for us to, to settle in our minds as we go into this chapter because all of this moves us to the climax of the letter. And the letter is to encourage Timothy and the church. I believe that most who we call theologians, Andrew pointed out in one of his sermons in the strictest sense, we're all theologians, but I think when we refer to theologians, most of the time we're talking about those people who spend their life digging in and digging in, and people that we'll go to to study after them and see what they have to say. That Paul was encouraging the church through this letter as much as he was encouraging Timothy. So in 1 Timothy 5, there's two or three things I want to point out to you. First of all, he starts out and says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, with all purity. So he sets the stage for the church and for Timothy there in that fifth chapter of how we treat each other, doesn't he? And what, are, what it is to respect each other and have that kind of attitude toward each other. But then he goes on, and some things that just hit me that I wanted to bring out to you is verse 8. And I think this is an important verse uh, to us as, as we think about things to do. He says, uh, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so we're to encourage everyone to take care of their family, aren't we? That was part of it. You know, and, and some people do this today. In the early church, people were even confused of where the Lord had already come, you know, whether they'd been left behind. And others were waiting for Him to get here, and so they just quit. We just sit on our seat until the Lord comes. And, and Paul is telling Timothy, remember that we work till the Lord comes, don't we? We take care of our families. We do those kind of things. And then he talks about young widows and and there in verse 13 he says, And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. And so he talks about gossip and busybody there, doesn't he? And that's so easy for us to get caught up in, is to be a busybody. You ever heard of anybody said, she's just a busybody, or he's just a busybody, and you say, they're the biggest gossip in town. Have you ever heard those terminologies? I have all my life. Gossip is something that's really easy to get involved in if we're not careful. All of us, not just ladies. Men can be gossips just as well as ladies. Anybody can be a gossip if we're not careful about what we do. Then I skip down to uh, verse 19. I think this is an important verse for you all to keep in mind. It says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And here he's talking about a pastor. If somebody comes and tells you something about a pastor, about a staff person, 
make sure you know how two or three people can back that up before you confront that person with it or you go out and share that with somebody else. In fact, you shouldn't share it with anybody else. If you know it, you ought to go to the person and find out if it's true. And if it is true, it ought to be corrected there. And if it's something that needs to be gone further than that, then there's a proper channel where to do that. So this is a, a, a powerful, powerful chapter. And then we get into chapter 6. And I'm going to use uh, the New Living Translation for it today. And I hope that you who are in Sunday school, I think you all probably got a really good lesson on this. And I'm not going to try to beat it to death. There's some things I want to encourage us in to help us to come to grips with because I believe that the church is in a state today where we need to be very active in being godly, doing the things that God would have us to do, and thinking about our 150th anniversary celebration, which I think is either four or five Sundays from today, August the 11th. I want you all to be thinking about this because this is what I'm going to bring out in the message. If those people who formed First Baptist Church of Sonora walked in here today, would they say, this is what we founded, this is what we expected it to be, and this is what we gave our lives for, for it to be? Because that's what the church ought to be. If the church does anything, it ought to move up the ladder, not down the ladder. Amen? We ought to move closer to God and not further away from God. And there's some things in this that I think will help us in that. And let me just say to you, because we're going to talk about words here and what Paul says about words. I am a simple person. You all have figured that out, I'm sure, by now. I thank God for what He's given me. I thank God for the education I have. I thank God for all the things I have. But my lifestyle and my thinking is very simple. I think it was John today said I had a little brain. Now, don't get mad at John for saying that because he was going to say I had a peewee brain. So at least he brought it up bigger than that. But we were talking about a stupid thing that I did yesterday, and, and he commented, which was fine. And, uh, but I have a simple thinking about life. I like things simple. And when I read the Bible, I don't want to try to figure out what is is. Do you all? I just take it for what it says. I believe it was written for us as common people to read and to understand. And I think that we've gotten into a day and age where we want to go back and pick the words apart and say, well, did this mean this or that mean that? And what, I, what we need to understand, folks, if Paul wrote to Colossae or Paul wrote to Thessalonica or Paul wrote to Ephesus or whoever he wrote to, yes, there were circumstances there. But those circumstances are all over the world today. The circumstances that Paul addressed don't change with age. The, the, what, the, pro, the words that he gave us, the things he said, are applicable to all churches, whether we're in the midst of a difficulty or whether God has protected us from that. I think when we forget about persecution, we say, boy, when persecution comes in America, it's just bad. We forget that all over the world today, there are people being killed right now while we're sitting here enjoying an air-conditioning room because they dare to name Jesus as their Savior and Lord, because they will not renounce His name. So all these things are happening all around us all the time, and we need to understand that because God has blessed us to live in a nation where we have all the freedoms that we have where we can worship as we please, where we can have all the study helps that we can get our hands on, right? If you're on a computer now and you, don't, and you can just have an internet, you know you can go and study the Bible, you can go to word meanings, you can go into the Greek, what does it mean? The Hebrew, what does it mean? You can go to the Arabic, what does it mean? What did the Septuagint say? 
What did they have to say about it? We can just go on and on, can't we, with the helps that we have as we begin to study to see what it says. But I believe that what it says, what it means, and means what it says. So I take it at face value. When God said something, that's what He meant for me. It's what He meant for you. It's what He meant for my mom and dad, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and all the way back, and will be for the generations that are here to come. And I can't just say, well, I don't really like what it says in 2019, so let's look at it a little different today, and let's put a different interpretation on it. God knew what He was saying. He said He never changes, right? He was the same yesterday, today, and will be forevermore. So His Word doesn't change. So I challenge us, starting with myself, let's hear what God has to say, let's believe what God has to say, and let's live out what God has to say, because someday we're going to stand before Him and we're going to give an account of what He said. So let's look at those first two verses. Honor your masters. Now we know he's talking and uses the term slaves here. And I'm not going into all the history of the slavery, but as most of us have known, if you've had any Bible study or any preaching, that back in those days there were people who sold themselves into slavery. A slave wasn't just somebody who went out, as we think about slavery, we think about the South, we think about picking cotton, we think about working on a plantation, don't we? But there were slaves who were doctors, there were slaves who were teachers, there were slaves who were accountants, there were slaves who were in every vocation there were. They sold themselves to those people for some reason for a certain period of time. And after that period of time was over, they were free. But if they chose to stay, they could choose to stay, and we're not going into all that, but, but there's a principle for slave, for, for that term, and what I'm going to bring over into our day, which I found in a lot of the study, and, and J- David Jeremiah was very strong on this. All slaves should show full respect for their masters, so that they will not bring shame on the name of God and His teaching. If the masters are believers, that is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers. So today we would say that's the employer-employee, right? When I worked in the factories up in Dayton, Ohio, I had a responsibility to give that factory 100% of myself for those eight hours a day that I worked in there because that's what they expected. But if for no other reason, I was a Christian. I needed to give them myself to honor God in what He'd called me to do. And I remember working at National Cash Register. I was a stock tracer, which meant I was all over the factory looking for parts to go to a certain cash register so it could get to the assembly line so that it would not be down and they could put that cash register together and it could be sent. Well, they had a layoff, and I, I didn't get laid off, but I got bumped out of that job, and, and the company made a mistake. They bumped me into a higher level than rather than a lower level job. Well, how long do you think it took them all to figure out I was in the wrong place? I'm not talking about the company. I'm talking about the workers. What are you doing in here? You all know what I'm talking about. So anyway, they gave me this. It was a real tough job. Uh, I mean, it, it was hard. They, these little shafts that went in there that the keys and things fit on were about a foot long and about half as big around as my little finger. And they come out of the machine and they had oil on them. And I'm supposed to stand there at a little emery wheel and shine them up. That's all there is to it. Just take, reach over there, Roger, and get one and go. Now, how long do you think it'd take to do that? How many of you think you could do in a day? Well, let me tell you something. When I got my first stack done, I've got a tap on my shoulder. 
And somebody said to me, buddy, we only do three boxes a day in this place. 17,000 employees in National Cash Register when I surrendered to preach. When I left in 1967 to come back and go to college, 1968, there were zero employees in National Cash Register in Dayton, Ohio, because they shut down and they moved all over the South where they could do a better job. And, of course, we were going to computerization. They needed new buildings. So all those people, why? Part of it was because they gave about three hours work for eight hours pay. Christian, you don't do that. You go on the job and you give the man fair day's work for a fair day's pay. Doesn't matter what everybody else does. You do what God would have you to do. Now he says something to the employer. The employer is to treat the people like he'd want to be treated. And if you're working for a Christian employer, as a Christian, you don't slough off and do things because that's your brother in Christ. You do more because he is your brother in Christ. That's what Paul said to the Christians here, because these people were getting saved. They were, most of them were, were being saved into families where people were lost. And they're saying, give an example, live your life out. But if he is saved, give more to him. Don't try to take advantage of who you are and your position as a Christian. So remember that. The employer is deserving of a fair day's work for a fair day's pay to you or to me as an employee. Second thing we see here is verses 3 through 10. And we see error in teaching and we see greed. Greed is probably one of the number one things of us as Americans, isn't it? Is greed. Paul telling Timothy to tell the church we're not to be greedy. And now let's look at you, what he says here. Beginning with verse 3 in chapter 6. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has been instructing Timothy throughout this letter, and of course Timothy's been with Paul, right? So he knows Paul's teaching. These are truths that you need to pass on to somebody else, which we'll get into next, not next Sunday, but Sunday after next, when we get into 2 Timothy chapter 2. But then he goes on and says, these teachings promote a godly life. If we live according to what God tells us to live, then we'll live godly, right? You ever hear somebody say, that's a godly person? A godly person is living out what God has said for us to live, to try our dead level best, to grow every day, to be everything God would have us to be. And we know that were it not for the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we could not be that person, could we? Because we don't have the ability in the body, flesh, to be godly. That has to come from Him. So that's why John reminded that group in his first little epistle, greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. And Paul reminded the Corinthians, there is no temptation, but such is common to everybody, that with that temptation, God has made a way for us to escape. So we can be godly if we know what God's Word has to say. If, if I don't teach you and preach to you the truth, and you don't get anywhere else, how are you going to know to live the truth? Well, I know, and we'll talk about that a couple of weeks from now too. But it's my responsibility to put the truth out there. 
I can't make anybody live by the truth except myself. I can't make Peggy. I can't make our kids, their spouses, our grandkids, because it's them as individuals. All I can do is deliver that truth, right? And once I've delivered the truth, then my accountability is a plus. If I don't deliver that, then it's an elf. And he says in Hebrews 13, 17, that I will give an account as your pastor for your very souls. That's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? You think about it. I believe the writer, which I believe was Paul, but that's immaterial, the writer of Hebrews was telling us that you can't cut corners. You know what is is, so tell them what is is. Don't try to come up with some other definition of it. Because you're going to give an account. He goes on in verse 4 and says, Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Boy, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? Now listen to the next portion that he says here. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. And Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, again admonishes us not to quibble over words, not to try to take a word and put it into some other meaning. Listen to what it says and live by it. Then he goes ahead and says, This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. When we start trying to reinterpret the Bible, we start trying to say, well, this is what it means, this is this day, and that was that day, and all this. What do we do? We end up in arguments over it, don't we? We end up in divisions over it. Southern Baptist Convention has been divided over some issues. And some of those issues is because we still don't take God's Word at face value. We want to bring it over into, quote, a contemporary, unquote, politically correct, society and say, well, in this day, this is what it says, or this is the way things are. I don't understand why God always set things up the way He did. But what I do know, that God did it because it was the best thing to do, and He'd be honored and glorified. So my responsibility as a pastor or as a Christian is to accept that and live it to the best of my ability. Then he says in verse 5, These people always cause trouble, their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth, to them a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. And so you know what he's talking about. There's, and, and I could preach a whole week on, no, not a week, but I could preach a long time just on that phrase. I'm going to move on with it to the next verse. Yet true godliness with contentment in itself is great wealth. What is more precious than being content in the Lord? Some of us have gone through a lot of things, and and, and I said, if nothing else, a week ago Wednesday night, uh, if it doesn't bring anything, it brings you to realize life is tentative. No matter how well you think you are, life is tentative. What was the great thing about it all was the contentment in the midst of all of it. I watched Jim Cottrell sit at that piano, and there's one of these songs we sing, uh, praise songs. Y'all have to forgive me, I'm not good at songs. But it talks about dying in it. And I never, every time that we would sing that when Jim was playing and I knew and you knew where he was, I couldn't help but wonder what went through his mind. I know, I know what went through his mind. He went through his mind was peace and contentment. Because what was that song? Every, sweeter it grows every day. He sang, the longer I serve him. He and some of the servants the day before he died, if I'm not mistaken. 
Jim, as weak as he was, that was the song. Because all the money in the world, all the land in the world, all the cars in the world. I listen, that guy got killed in a boat accident yesterday. I'm sure you all heard about that up there in Madison, Indiana, out there running the boat. He only had 12 boats. What did one of those things cost? All the 12 boats he had, guess what? They're in dry dock and he's somewhere. But he won't be riding the boat again. True contentment comes through knowing Jesus. Amen? All the rest of the things are fleeting. None of it will we ever take with us. And I'm going to let you in a little secret. I'll guarantee you that 30 years from now, nobody will remember what you had anyway or give a hoot. It just makes you feel good now. Remember, there's only one thing that counts, and that's what we're putting up there. What treasure are we sending ahead? Okay, let's hurry on. After all, we brought nothing in with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. We all know that, right? So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. How many folks have you seen who have been destroyed, destroyed their family and everything else trying to get rich? The lottery, I, I challenge you to look it up. I believe that almost 100% of all these people who have won these big amounts have ended up with a devastated life because that's what it's brought to them. I'm not telling you don't make I'll talk about this. I'm going to talk about money a little more because he does before we end here. There's nothing wrong with having money. I want every, does everybody understand that? Can all of you say, amen, preacher, I understand you're saying that. It's how we deal with that money, what we think about that money, how we handle that money, how we let Jesus use that money in our life. Because you see, the only reason we have it is because He's given it to us. Yesterday morning, I don't know why I did this, I was just praying, and I, it just hit me all of a sudden, Tony. Thank God for being born in America. Did you know that I could have been born into Venezuela or Honduras or somewhere else that has nothing? I was reading about how many million people there are that have no concept of who their parents are. They just, they're out there. They're not even, many people don't even consider them human. They're in these nations where they go to the garbage dump and dig out of it just to find something. They either sleep out in the open or in a cardboard box that they can find it. And God has given me everything that He's given me. And I look at somebody else and I think, gosh, Tom, wouldn't it be nice to have that? But think what I've got. Isn't it great to have what God has given me? Think about it, folks. Think about what He's done for us. We're all rich from a world standard. The poorest person in this room today is rich by the world standard, let alone those who God has blessed to have mounts and mounts of things. I'll get carried away here and preach. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered far from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Think about it. For the love of money. The love of money. 
a billionaire and his daughter with friends are flying. I believe it was in Bermuda this week, right? Flying. Billionaire. You know, I used to say Peggy's worth a billion. Now I say a trillion. Because a million's not much, is it? If you're not a billionaire anymore, you're not even looked at. Worth a trillion dollars. Guess what? The plane crashed. Guess what? He was killed. Guess what? He left all of his billions behind. He's dead. Graveyard dead. All the billions couldn't cause that engine to keep running. Couldn't keep that plane in the air. He's dead. Where are you putting your hope? Don't let money become a God. Don't let things become a God. The next portion of the Scripture is verses 11 through 16. The good confession, I entitled this. Listen to what he says. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. You see, folks, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, we have to move toward what God would have us to be. Amen? We've got to be moving forward to something good. I can't dabble around in that which is bad. I remember mom telling me one day, and my brother, you can't run around with these boys. And I thought, why? I don't see anything wrong with these kids. And then one day she called me to the back, into the kitchen and said, I want you to look out the window. I want you to see what's happening down there. And I looked down there and I saw them. They'd crawled over a fence where some things were stored, some automobiles, and they were in there stealing stuff out of it. And she said, that's why I don't want you to run around with them, because if you mess with them, you'll end up like them. Find you a godly person to run with. Then you'll pursue godly things. Our human nature will cause us to be pulled down. How many, how many people do you know that because they went with the wrong crowd, did the wrong thing, and ended up with a mess in their life? Had they not been with the crowd, they would never have been in that mess. There's a man 90-something years old down home. Peggy and I don't go home that often anymore, but when we drive by that filling station that he's owned for years and years and years, we look to see if he's in there in his wheelchair. The other day, well, it's been several months now, when we went down, Peggy said, there's George in there. There's George in there. Good man, good man. One night, right after World War II, he got involved with some brothers, went up the state line there where Kentucky and Tennessee meet, where all the beer joints were, and guess what? They all decided to bushwhack the sheriff and his deputies. They did. Fortunately, they didn't kill them. But George spent several years at Petros in the pen because he happened to be with them. Good man. Wrong place. Wrong time. Run with the right crowd. And you won't be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Holds tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before my witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey the command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at 
For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He alone can never die, and He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach Him. No human eye has ever seen Him, nor ever will. All honor and power to Him forever and ever. And if anything ought to be an excitement to us as we read that scripture today is what we observed right here a while ago to know that God loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross and that through His death, burial, and resurrection we have life and we have it eternally. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, I encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to your heart and your life and to turn to Him and tell Him that you repent of your sin, you're sorry for that sin that's in your life, you want to trust Christ, you want to walk with Christ, you want to follow the admonition that Paul gave to young Timothy here to be a man of God that God will not be ashamed of. Is that your choice today? Is that what you want to be? Then we see the instruction for the rich. Look what it says here in verses 17, 18, and 19. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. This month and next month we'll continue to take an offering to help those needy that come through this town or may be in this town and I'm telling you this is a great opportunity for this church to stand up and say we care for those that God would have us to care for. I'm challenging everyone in this building today including myself to give a hundred dollars if you can to this offering. If you can't, God knows that. That's less than three cents a day for the whole year and that we will do this and God will be honored. And when that bus stops down there, that people that's been up there in the uh, rehab at, at Radcliffe and they don't have hardly any money at all or somebody gets dropped off like the girl, the young lady did that John came and talked to me, John Bowles and, and the community fund was able to send her on down the road and these things happen that you can know that every day of your life when Alice gets a call somebody needs food somebody needs electricity somebody needs something else that you are being a part of it for three cents a day if you just give a hundred dollars to this offering what a blessing that would be if you don't have that what could you give could you give an average of a penny a day or whatever it may be that God might be honored and might God might be glorified. To Him be the glory. Amen. I pray that you'll take this. I believe it was one, one of our men, I'm not going to call his name, said he was surprised each day he just drops his change in there how much money is being dropped in this little bitty can because he accepted the challenge to put his change in this thing. And some people say, well, how do we know that everybody that we help needs help? We don't. I'm not worried about that. Are you? Are you worried about giving somebody a $5 bill and saying, well, golly bum, they had $20 bill in their billfold, so what if they did? You gave the $5 out of the heart that God would have you to give, and he said, if you give to the poor, guess what? I'm going to give it back to you. But if you hold it from him, then he may take that five plus five more. I'm not God. I'm not saying. Don't ever be afraid to do something. Don't worry about what somebody has. If they act like they have a need, if they smell like they have a need, or whatever it is, reach in your pocket if you've got it and try to meet that need, and God will glorif be glorified, and he'll honor you for doing that, even though you may feel that it's not 
the right thing to do at the moment. Maybe somebody's trying to take advantage of you. I know I've been taken advantage of. So what? Right? So what's the big deal? I did what I knew was right. Now, I will have to admit this, and you all can admonish me for it if you want to. It bothers me to see somebody that's good and healthy and, and well-fed standing on a street corner asking for money when there's a sign right beside them that says, we're hiring. Now, if I'm wrong, you all pray God will straighten out on that, okay? But folks, God has blessed us. Don't be afraid to give. Don't be afraid to turn loose of it. I was a chintzy tightwad, wasn't I, Peggy? She taught me how to give. She taught me how to give and not worry about it. And I tell you, I can tell you the truth. I have been more blessed by learning to do that than anything that I've ever done. And sometimes I struggle with it. But yet I know it. She said something the other day. We helped somebody. You, we sat there and out of the blue. You sure we gave enough money? It's tight. What Tony said, I'm sure we did. Instead of saying, no, honey, maybe we should give some more. Because I still fight it a little bit. But folks, don't be afraid to turn loose of it. Not for you, but for God's glory. Here, this $5, it's in the, I'm giving it to you in the name of Jesus. Then they got to live with that. This was Jesus handing you this $5 he used me. Here's this $10. Tell you one more story. Never understood why it happened. And, and I hope you understand me describing it. Peggy and I are sitting in Long John Silver's, Marietta, Ohio. We're way back in the corner, away from everybody where preachers like to get. I've been to Long John. You know how it is. This guy came through that door, and Roger, he made you look little. And he was from the south, and he was black, and he was black. And I'm sitting there and I see him. I look up at him and I think, man, that's a mean looking dude. Uh, and, and he comes and he looks around in there. And I didn't know what he is after. And then he starts walking. And where do y'all think he ended up? Right at our table. Phew. I wasn't really shaking, but I wonder what's he want. And he looked at me and he said, I'm coming, I think he said, down in Georgia. And I'm trying to get to Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm hungry, and I don't have anything. I haven't had anything to eat. Would you buy my lunch? I take him up to the counter, and I said, "Order whatever you want to." I never thought about him ordering two meals. You know, I just thought about him ordering something. But he ordered two meals, and we took care of it and gave him the last of the change that was in the bill we used. But I don't know whether he had a need or not. He may have had a thousand dollar bill. There is such a thing in his pocket. But he said, I'm hungry and I need somebody to feed me. And I did it. Not so I could be brag about it this morning. Just came to me as I tell. And don't take his bragging. But it was what God would have us to do. Amen. Do it, folks. Let's be godly. Let's give. Let's be what God would have us to be. And, and, in the, and I don't want to get into this and rub this horse to death, but let's give our tithes to the church, what, what God's told us to do. If the church never gives me one more penny than we make today, I could care less. I'm not in it for that. If the committee met and said, we can't give you anything, don't ever worry about it, Danny. You're on that to this year. I'm not interested for me. 
I want to see this church do what this young man said, I think the last paragraph, to become everything God would have to be. Folks, whether we like it or not, it costs us about $6,000 a week to keep the church doors open. And that means that all of us have to give in order for that to happen and for God to be glorified. So I close with these last two verses. Guard the faith. Y'all can come on, Andrew, and get ready to sing. Timothy, he says, guard what God has entrusted to you. May I say to Tony and to each one of you by name today, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you and their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. Let's be what God would have us to be. It's simple. It's simple. And Paul said it well. Guard that which has been entrusted to you. Our hymn of invitation is number 412. My faith has found a resting place. Let's stand. Let's sing. If you need to make any public affirmation today for salvation, for baptism, for church membership, just for anything, you come and do what God would have you to do. Let's sing, Andrew.